week was Mother's Day, and it was a blessing to be able to share the Word of God to the mothers. And as they, uh, I'm thankful for the Pratt Family Greenhouse for the flowers as well. You thankful for that? Yeah. Have you killed the flowers yet? No. Don't ask my wife. No, I'm just kidding about that. <laughs> yeah, well, as long as she plants it outside, she does well. But anyway. Well, the kids are leaving. Did you notice? Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. All right. Very good. <laughs> We should have had them do, do that during the special song. That wouldn't have interrupted anything. Huh? All right. I invite you to take your Bibles this morning. Turn to the book of Titus. The book of Titus. I travel around to churches and fill the pulpits. It's always a challenge to know exactly what the Lord would have me to share, pray about that. And one of my default settings is the pastoral epistles uh, of First and Second Timothy in the book of Titus. They are written by the Apostle Paul, is actually the, the one that the Lord used, inspired to write uh, these books to us. They, um, and, uh, they are written to his, what we call, his preacher boys. Uh, I think in Titus's case, he's perhaps a little bit older than Timothy. Timothy, a young man, gives indication of that in the books of Timothy. And, but then Titus, it's not mentioned that, uh, about that as age necessarily, but we know that he was mentored and left there in Crete, we'll talk about that as we go here, for a specific purpose, and it was to pastor the people on the island of Crete. And it says that in Titus chapter 1 in verse 5, it gives the very clear uh, purpose of this, of this little book. He says, For this cause left I, Paul, thee, Titus, in Crete, that thou shouldest, what's he say, set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I, Paul, had appointed thee, Titus. So you very clearly could see that uh, Titus was left on Crete to do what Paul had done to him. That makes sense, doesn't it? And it says there that he is to be setting in order the things that are wanting. Well, that's quite a statement, isn't it? Now, there's no perfect church. Matter of fact, if you think there is, go there and it won't be perfect anymore. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have a perfect church here either. Because I'm here. Yeah, I'll take the pressure off you and I'll take the blame. Because that's just the way it is. We're imperfect people gathered together as God, Christ's body, the church, assembled here this morning. We are the church that God has put here in Clinton. So the letter, this letter, the purpose is the reason Paul writes the pastoral epistles. Paul, one of the reasons that he writes these is Paul cared about the church. He cared about these pastors that he had left there to pastor those churches. Paul cared about the future of the church. Do you care about the future of our church? It's a good question. It's a good question. And that's the purpose that I believe the Lord has brought this message to my heart and mind here, here lately. Jesus Christ loves the church. The Bible says that he gave himself for it. We know that the great apostle, Paul, that 
was a great church planter and missionary, traveled and planted churches all throughout the known world, really. And uh, you could follow his uh, travels and see that in Scripture. But here we see and we uh, know that the church in Crete, or the, the Christians in Crete, they, they, needed, they needed some help. There were some things they were wanting. And the island of Crete needed Christ. And today there's a direct connection to us because Clinton needs Christ. Your community, if you don't live in Clinton, we don't live in Clinton either, but we come to church here in Clinton, our communities need Christ. And Clinton needs and continues to need a vibrant New Testament Bible-preaching lighthouse for the gospel here in this town. We know that. And I know in your hearts, you, wouldn't, you probably wouldn't be here, I trust, if that was not, if that, not your heart. I believe that you already know that and believe that. The church, the Christians in the church are the primary way that people will hear of Jesus Christ through the ministry of the local church. It's us, the body of Christ, going into the community to tell them about the Lord Jesus. And Paul writes to Titus, a pastor of a church facing the challenges every church faces. It's no different then or today. It says in verse 10 of chapter 1, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. He was battling against the Jews. They of the circumcision. They are against what Christ was doing in the hearts of people. So many of the Jewish leaders were losing their grip on people. And Satan is not happy at all when people turn and give their hearts to Jesus Christ because he loses the grip on their soul. You see? Verse 12 of chapter 1 says, One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars. They must work for CNN. Evil beasts and slow bellies. They're always liars. Boy, that's quite a description, isn't it? Sinners at heart. What come out of their mouths were lies. And one of their own said that. Huh. Wow. We see verse 15. Unto the pure all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. Does that describe our world today? Amen. Absolutely. It says that their mind and conscience is defiled. What's it defiled by? It's by sin. That's right. Sin. Verse 16. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work, what's the last word? Reprobate. I tell you, if you could put one word description on our world today or on our community of those peoples around, uh, people around us that don't know Jesus Christ, we could say reprobate. Because I was a reprobate. And I know full well, full well what it's all about. Well, we have a description of what the challenges were in Crete. And as I said already, we have a description of what we face today. People are the same. Crete needed Christ. Clinton needs Christ. Perhaps you need Christ today. And it's for the very plan of God is that for the church is that we would be the ones that would proclaim Christ. 
to those that need it. It says at the beginning of chapter 2, which will be our text here this morning. This was all introduction. We have plenty of time, so you don't have to worry about that. Well, you might have to worry about it, but... We have the contrasting word, but. He describes what is happening around them, and even, I think, in, in many ways, those that are infiltrating and part of the church. He says, but. Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. And he gives here what I call today a prescription for a powerful church. He doesn't just out, uh, lay out the problems that are around them. He gives them the remedy of how to counteract that. Isn't that what a prescription does? We go to the doctor. How many people like to go to the doctor? I'm glad for all, both of you. But anyway, no, nobody did. Nobody likes to go to the doctor. And we, we know that uh, we go to the doctor and we have a problem, right? We say, doctor, this is what, this is what is happening or not happening. <laughs> this is where the ache is. This is where the pain is. None of you know what I'm talking about, I'm sure, but maybe that's what your experience. You go to the doctor and you tell him the problem. And he says, well, you take, take this and it will take care of the problem. Well, that's what we have laid out before. So he's laid out the problems and he's now going to give the prescription to give, and this is my full, my full title, a prescription for a powerful, productive, persevering church. I think persevering is, we want the power of God, we, we want to be productive. Persevering is another word that I think is something that we all desire. I mentioned in last, uh, last week's message about the, the beginnings of this church, Tim Weymouth uh, helped me out with that after the service, begun and uh, built in 1888. Nobody but Clara was around then, but... Um, <laughs> And I don't know if she caught that or not, but uh, <laughs> that was a while ago. Have I got it right? I've still got it right, right, Tim? Yeah, I make sure I'm remembering right. So that was the, the main part of the church built in 1888. I think that's kind of where most of you are sitting. And you can correct me after again if he wants to. But uh, the back part of the church, 1966, 1966, you have two build dates, 1888, 1966. This church has been around a long time. The building. But I'm thankful that the body has too. You see. And we can't take that for granted. This church will not continue. Will not continue. Unless we follow the prescription that is laid out in the book of Titus. There are other passages of scripture we could go to. But this one is very clear because I think it does give us the problem. And then it gives us the prescription for a powerful, productive, persevering church. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we thank you again for the eternal word of God. And we thank you that you've given it to us. We can read it. We can understand it. We can study it. We can apply it. And I pray that this morning all of our hearts would be turned toward these things, necessary things, helpful things, that will help our church be what you designed it to be. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
And it's, it's, I just want everybody to know, you know, I'm not preaching this message because I think there's all kinds of problems here in the church, okay? Uh, because the pastor's away, I'm going to preach on all the, yeah, no, I'm not doing that, okay? I think this is helpful. I think we have a great church. I really do. And I believe God is at work in our church. And I want to see that continue. That's really what it, what it comes down to. So if we're going to have a powerful church, and I'm not going to say all of those other points. I just say powerful church. You can fill in the rest. But the first thing that we see that he's laid out here in chapter 2 and verse 1 is the people of a powerful church. He lays out this uh, very, very clearly, the people that need, need to be part of a good, productive, powerful church. And he says here, verse 2, that the aged men, the aged men. And then in verse 3, he talks about the aged women. Boy, he's a brave man, talking about women's age. And then verse 4, he says, the young men, uh, young women, rather, verse 4, young women. And then verse 6, what's he say? Young men. So you have these four groups, as it were. We'll just take them in the order in which they're presented to us. We have, first of all, the aged men. The aged men. Now, some of you know what I'm talking about. Aged men just simply means the older, the older men. And he's telling these groups, as it were, beginning with the aged men, both tells them what to believe and how to behave. It's both, really. He's telling them what they need to be doing, believing, and then how to behave out of that, out of that belief. And aged men is older, the older men of the church, both in, and one man said it this way, both in age and stage. You don't necessarily need to be old in age to be old in stage, in other words, spiritually speaking. I believe Titus is one of those examples. Timothy, uh, the pastoral epistle to Timothy, is another example of that. Where he's not old in age, but old in maturity in the faith. That's who he's addressing. And, but he is talking to those that are simply older. Now you define that. I'm stuck somewhere in the middle. I'm the same age as Pastor Mark. I know he looks much older than I. He's been sick a lot. But he, uh, he, uh, he, we, we know that he, we're, we're, we're 54 years old. And, and uh, you know, I tell you, it's, age is relative, isn't it? I mean, the kids look up at something, somebody like me and say, man, that guy's old. And uh, they're, probably, they're probably right. But we're, I'm looking at people that are here in our church, and I don't want to pick on it. Well, I do want to pick on some, but I won't. And uh, we say, man, they're old. And I'm somewhere, and we're all, most of us are somewhere in the middle. Some of you just plain, no, you're old. <laughs> and that's how it is. It's the aged men. I remember when I went to Bible college, and some, most of you know, I went to Bible college, I was 36 years old. And I had five, we had five kids, and uh, we, I went off to Bible college. I was old. And as I'm at 54, I'm looking back, and I'm thinking, I'm way older than when I thought my parents were old. Yeah. Anyway, I'm getting away from it. He's talking, so it's all, he's talking here, we can define it all, it's the aged men, it's the older men of the church. That's who he's addressing first, why? Well, I think there's an order of, of, of purpose here, an order of uh, seriousness that needs to be in, that, that uh, needs to be priority in the church, and the aged men are, are the leaders in that. The men are to be leaders in the church. And you might not like that. You know, our world doesn't like that thought. And uh, it's not that the ladies are less important. They just have a different role. That's what it's all about. And the men are to be leaders in the church. And so he's addressing them first. And the aged men are to be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. 
So he gives here just some directives to the aged men, the older men, that to be uh, the aged men to be sober, and it really does mean the free from intoxicants, just as we would think uh, that sober would mean. You don't have things in you that are going to uh, alter your thoughts or your actions. Okay, that's what it's talking about. You're unpolluted. You're pure. Doesn't mean that we're perfect. But we are working in the realm of the Holy Spirit's control and we're not tainted by other things. See, it's easy to get up behind the pulpit. It's not really easy, but you get up behind the pulpit and preach against maybe drinking alcohol and those types of things that I think the Bible gives very clear warning about to abstain or to stay away from those things. I'm not, I'm not here to do that today. Because it's not just alcohol. You know, there could be aged men that are consumed by bitterness in their hearts. And that's going to control their actions. You don't be controlled by those things. You're to be sober and serious-minded, focused and unpolluted by other things. That's what he's talking about here. He uh, says and continues in the verse, to be grave, not in the grave. That wouldn't do us any good. But grave is, is the same thing. It's to be serious-minded. You know, you don't have to, and it addresses the young people later, but it comes into my mind now, you don't have to teach people to be foolish. That comes naturally. And, uh, but the older men are simply those that are taking life seriously. Now this matter of Christianity and living for Christ is a serious matter. It's a serious matter. It's not that we can't have fun. But we, don't, we want to take things seriously. I'm, I probably tend to go the uh, one direction and others go the other. It doesn't matter. You do, it's before the Lord. But I, I, I certainly do take, I take, the, take the things of God, my testimony for Christ, I take it very, very seriously. I think that the church needs to be somewhat of a serious, focused matter. That's all. We're focusing on what God would, would say to us. We're focusing on what the Bible says and then what God wants me to do. It's a serious thing. And I think he's talking about uh, these types of men that have been kind of down the road a piece. You've been through the bumps and the bruises, and you've been through some of the battles of the Christian life. The Christian life is a battle. And Paul describes it as that. It would be good soldiers for Jesus Christ. And I, I think when he's talking about the aged men, he's talking about those that have been through those battles and survived. Because they're still part of the church. Do you realize that there's some older men that have been through battles and they quit? So they're not part of the church anymore. They've given up. And he's saying, no, he says, no, you need to be, you need to be sober, you need to be grave, you need to take this thing serious, man. What God has called us to be. To be temperate is right-minded and need to be wise and, and steady, a steady present. And that's what the church needs. Older men that are serious about the things of God, that walk with God and become examples to the younger men. I know nobody would ever argue, and, and uh, Titus writes in, in uh, the first chapter that the, the pastor needs to be a, a serious-minded, spirit-filled individual. Would anybody argue with that? I wouldn't want to go to a church where that is not the case. And he gives qualifications for, for the pastor, for the leader, for the elders of the church in the pastoral role. But it, you know that every man, all men need to be with God's help and God's grace, not spiritually dead. Are you alive here this morning? Take a breath. Take another one just to be sure. 
See, don't men, let's not die before we're dead. Let's go on with a spiritual vibrancy that's an example to the younger men. You know, I think about um, so many of these uh, men that are a part of our church, are examples to me of faithfulness. It talks, it talks about that. Sound in faith and charity is love and patience, just long-suffering endurance. I look around the auditorium and see examples of that. Examples to me is now an older man, middle-aged something, I don't know. And oh, with God's help, that I might be that example to those that are coming up behind us. Young men. Young men. Oh, God help us to have godly, aged men. It needs to be part of a powerful church. He moves on and it gets uncomfortable, so I'm glad I'm going to move on too. The aged women, because I ain't one of them. It's easier to preach at others. Do you notice that? <laughs> to see the speck that is in other people's eyes and have a beam in mine. You can see your sin 100 yards off and hit it with incredible accuracy. To see something before my very face and in my life is harder to see. The aged women. The aged women. And he says likewise. Likewise. And so it's including the things written before and now he's going to give something more to say. You know why that is women? For the men he's got to keep it simple. Can't give us too much at once. For you women he can give a little more because you can take it, right? We're wimps. I didn't get an amen there at all, but the aged women likewise, that they be, and it says that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, he still addresses that same matter, teachers of good things. Wow. That describes, that's a good description, isn't it? Aged women. He's talking about the older women. And again, we'll let you define that. I'm certainly not going to ask that or ask your age. But uh, he said, behavior, your deportment or your, de your demeanor, becometh, and it says there, becometh holiness. I was listening to a preacher recently, and uh, he, says, he said this, whatever happened to holiness? What happened to holiness? Being separated unto God. That's what holy is all about. You know, I think we've lost somehow some holiness in our, in, our, in our midst and in our churches today, so-called. To just be that something that is altogether different, that reflects the very character of Almighty God. That's what holy is. Let's have holy women. I believe we have holy women in our church. Continue in that. Be that example to the younger women. We'll see that in a bit. Not false accusers. It's a powerful phrase and it implies, this is what one uh, commentator said, it implies, it implies as false accusers, implies a verbal assault like the devil. Ooh. You know what I gather from that? Get the devil talk out of your lips. Get it out of your life. Stop talking like the devil. And nothing will destroy a church, a home, like devil talk about others. Ooh. Ow. That stings just a bit. Glad I'm talking to the older women. <laughs> no, it does go to all of us, doesn't it? It goes to all of us. It is something that we need to take very, very serious. Let's guard what we are saying 
about others. I just hit the highlights here. Instead, instead of talking negatively, devil talk about others, be a teacher of good things. Good things. Things that are going to edify or build up others, right? And lead them, lead them to Jesus Christ and lead them to maturity. And that's what he says. That's what he's getting at here in the passage. He's talking about the people of a powerful, productive, persevering church. And he's talked to the, he's talked to the, the aged men, the older men. He's talked to the aged women. The teachers of good things, and in verse 4, that they may teach. This is who you're teaching, ladies. The young women. The young women. And it's amazing, he uses the same word, to be sober. To be sober. To be not filled with all of the things that would, that would somehow ruin your testimony. Control you. Overtake you. To be sober and serious. And teach them to, to love their husbands. To love their husbands. Isn't that something? The older women are to be examples of the unconditional love of God for their husbands. God help us in our society today to have men and women that are examples to the younger generation of how to love one another and be committed to that relationship. If that's not true for you, oh, I pray for you. God loves you unconditionally, unendingly. Let's be an example of that love to others. And it says the same thing to love their children. To love their children. Someone said this week, when someone asks you who's your favorite child, you're actually supposed to pick one of your own children. I know that now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, love your children. Exhibit and show them the love of Christ through us as their parents. To be discreet, it says, the Bible says, chaste, is pure and godly, not worldly or carnal, not fleshly. Our world is teaching our children not to be pure. We need to offset that. Oh, what a, what a needful ministry for women, older women, to teach the younger women how to be pure, discreet, sensible, and self-controlled, spirit-controlled, we can say as well. To be keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. Boy, that's not popular language today. That's why, you know, as a preacher, you get behind the pulpit, you deliver God's message. It isn't because the preacher's got it all right. God's working on him as much as he's working on you. It's a process that we'd be obedient to the Word of God. We'd learn to, to, to do that. Obedient to their own husbands, subjection to them. The Bible talks so much about that. In the world today, they don't even know what a wife and a husband is. They've confused the whole issue. The Bible lays it out very clearly. You don't have to wonder. That, the word of God, be not blasphemed. We'll deal with that later, hopefully. And then he says, the young, young men likewise. He's addressing all of the people of the church, isn't he? He's not leaving anybody out. 
A preacher wants to know and be able to apply the Word of God, the Spirit of God, to apply the Word of God to all of the hearts. It's a good passage because it lays it right out. Old, women, old men, old women, young women, young men. It represents all of us. He's addressing the church, surrounded by problems. This is what you need to have as people, as part of our church. You know, I travel and I go to different churches. Uh, I think of the one way up in, in Stacyville. Very few children. Very few children. Maybe four or five. Young, young families, boy, one, two, maybe. I travel to other places and you'll see an aging church. They don't have all of the people there. In other words, not all of these groups. The old ones, yes. Thank the Lord for the faithful old ones. But not the young ones coming up behind. Something's missing. And the future of that church is in jeopardy, isn't it? So many times. And we see it played out over and over again. We need to have all these. Young men likewise. It's the same thing. He's saying, all of these things are true. Now the young men. He's going to add a little more. And he says, he says here, ex uh, likewise exhort. And I love this word. We dealt with part of this, uh, for, uh, a form of it. In Sunday school, it's perikaleo. It's to come alongside, to speak, and to encourage them. Listen, men, that's what we need. That's the ministry God has called us to. We're to come alongside. And I, I said this in Sunday school, but I have this picture of an older man going up to a younger man, putting his arm around that young man and saying, hey, let me tell you something. Let me teach you something. And mentoring them. I remember one time we, were, we lived right over here on the Mutton Lane Road, uh, back some years ago, and we were adding on, and we were doing a building, uh, a building project. We had dormered the whole upstairs of the house. It was a big project. And uh, we were pretty much about halfway through that, and this older man drives in my driveway, and I said, I don't know who that is. And I got down off of the staging we were working on, and was putting that down. It's an old man, an older man. He comes and put his arm around me. Here he is. I'm like, oh, what's this all about? He said, let me have a word with you. Come to find out he was the code enforcement officer and he asked me if I had a permit for what I was doing. <laughs> and comes to find out I didn't. <laughs> I couldn't help but think of that. Right when it talks about this paracleo, that's the ministry of the comforter. That's what God does through the Holy Spirit to every one of us. He comes alongside of us. He teaches us. He's counseling us. And that's the ministry that the older men have to the younger men in the church if we're going to be a powerful church. Amen. That's what we need. That's the ministry that we have to have. And he is writing. He's beseeching. That's the word that he used. 40, uh, the, the word exhort is, is, uh, is uh, translated in our Bibles 43 times, beseech. You know what that means? You beg them. You beg them. Will you please take this thing serious? Have we missed that, folks? Have we missed it? To take life and the responsibilities of life serious and establish a pattern, it says... In, a, in our verse, always be sober-minded. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. It's talking about establishing a template that you would use to reproduce over and over again. Boy, that's a picture, isn't it? We know that. Oh, it's not like the ladies use. It's why it's not addressed to the ladies. It's not like a cookie cutter. We're talking about Templates. Something made out of metal, right? Ugh. 
We go to the shop and we make this. Or our lives are made into a pattern, as it says in the verse, a pattern, a template, as it were, uh, of good works. Reproducing. Generations to come. Young men like Daniel of the Old Testament that purposed in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself with the king's meat. Young men like Titus and Timothy, where in 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul would write, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Oh, men, older men, teaching the younger men. Older women, aged women, that seems better somehow, teaching the young women. It's the people of a powerful church. Then we have the plan or progression of a powerful church, number two. It's seen here in the epistle to Titus in the word that is given, I think it's five times here, the word sound, sound. You'll see it. Here, let's just see the, the uh, examples of it, ex where it's laid out for us. In verse 9 of chapter 1, holding fast the faithful word, as he hath been taught, and dealing with, dealing with the pastor, pastoral uh, qualifications, says that he may be able by what? Sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Chapter 2 and verse 1, we already read that a bit ago. It says, but speak thou the things which become, there it is again, sound doctrine. Doctrine. Verse, uh, chapter 1 and verse 13 lays out another thing. We'll address these in time. It says, the, this witness is true. Chapter 1, verse 13. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the, in the faith. In the faith. Then chapter 2 and verse 2. To the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith. Chapter 2 and verse 8. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. I think God is trying to tell us something. When God repeats something over and over, it's like when we were kids, right? If mom said something one time, we didn't listen. If she said something two times, we might listen. If she had to say something three times, it was too late to listen. <laughs> right? Sure. And he's saying something. We have it here laid out in the, in the scriptures this, in these two chapters five times. You think we ought to listen? Absolutely. It's the principle we call a repetition. Sound is an interesting word because it's, it's something that is settled, but it really carries this idea. It's that which is healthy, wholesome. That which gives health or makes sick people well. Ooh, now that's different, isn't it? It's like having a, a good sound diet, unlike me. Yeah. Settled. Settled. The only thing I know about settled is a lot of my stuff is settled right around my midsection. Yeah, that's right. It's called furniture disease. Chest is dropped into your drawers and those types of things. But this is different than that. It's sound. It's healthy. It's balanced. It's what we need. It's sound. And that's what Crete needed. And that's what our church needs. That's what Clinton needs. Sick people to be made well. Are you following it? Sick people to be made well. And it's going to happen with if we follow, if we continue to follow, the plan that God has laid out right here in his word. 
it talks about, he starts with sound doctrine. I trust that you know what doctrine is. It's that foundation of the Bible. It is what we believe based on this book. This book right here. It's not I think you think. It's what God has said. It's we are basing everything that we do say and believe on doctrine as taught in the Word of God. The church needs to continue to preach and teach the Bible. The, Paul would write to Timothy, preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke with all long suffering. He needs that one. And doctrine. Doctrine. We know that the early church was founded on doctrine. Acts 2.42 talks about, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The apostles' doctrine, what they believed, was given to them by none other than the author of our Bible, Jesus Christ. God in heaven brought, came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ reached out and had 12, 11 real apostles that learned from him. They learned and it became the apostles' doctrine because it was God's doctrine and they continued steadfastly in that. And here we are, 2,000 plus years, whatever it is, and we can still continue in that doctrine because doctrine doesn't change. That's why it has to be on the eternal word of God. You see, it doesn't stop. And it has to start there. Sound, healthy teaching from the word of God that will help and make us healthy, right? Sound. And so, when sound or healthy teaching is given, then sound or healthy living results, and that is presented here, as we've seen all of the uses of it, sound in faith. That's healthy living. Healthy living. You have sound teaching, and then you have sound faith, which is simply living, living that out. Believing and acting on what God has said, that's faith. So you're saved by faith, by grace, through faith. We know, we know that, don't we? Do you know that? you know you're saved today? If you trusted in Jesus Christ, the grace of God... That gives salvation, has been, the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. You can be saved today if you're not. It's given by grace. It's believed by faith. We believe what God has said. And we act on that. We believe it. We trust it. Well, see, the Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith, but also that Christians, once we are saved, are to what? Live by faith. It doesn't end at salvation. We continue to learn the word of God. That's sound doctrine. And then we are sound in our faith because we are believing and living what God has said. Let me ask you, have you what have you learned lately from the word of God? It's a good question, isn't it? We're to get together after the service, and I'm sure after the service you all will break the doors down and kind of get out of here. But anyway. Uh, they, uh, because I go so long, but anyway, they uh, will continue. It says, what have you learned? Let me, have you sat down before the Word of God, and what has God taught you lately, personally? What have you learned? Let me ask you also then, an extension of that, what are we trusting God for? If we're to live by faith, very clearly in Scripture, over and over again, the just shall live by faith. Three times in the New Testament, once in the Old, the just shall live by faith. What are we trusting God for? Oh, we like to read, and I like to preach from Hebrews chapter 11 
and where it talks about all the tremendous examples. It defines faith and it, it demonstrates faith to us. And then he says in Hebrews 12:1 that we are, uh, I, I, I had it a second ago, but we are to live by faith, right? We're looking unto Jesus, the author and what? Finisher of our faith. We're to lay aside those things that would hinder. We are to live by faith. If we're going to be a productive, powerful church, we need the people of the church to know what we believe and to live out what we believe. To be sound in doctrine and sound in faith. And then the last thing that he says, sound, it needs to come out, come out of us is a sound speech. This is what comes out. So we believe, we learn, we believe, we live it, and then we start telling it, we say it. That's, how, that's the progress, that's the plan. As we learn, we tell. You say, well, my goodness, I could never stand up behind the pulpit. No, that's right. That's not what we're call, all called to do. But we are called to tell others. Matthew 15, 18, amongst other places, says, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the, from the heart. This is what comes, we put into us, what is in us, is what is going to come out of us. What is in your heart? What is in your heart is going to come out in your speech. A healthy Christian will produce healthy fruit, words and speech that build up and not tear down. God help us to have sound teaching, sound living, sound speaking. The last thing that we have here is a prescription for a powerful church is the people and the plan. And then the purpose of it all. The purpose of it all. The purpose of a powerful, productive, persevering church is smattered kind of throughout. I don't know if smattered is a word, but it's, uh, it's throughout the, the text. Verse, um, verse 8 here in our, in our text here, sound speech, chapter 2, verse 8, that cannot be condemned that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you. Ooh, that sounds like a purpose statement to me. Why do we have sound doctrine? We sound in our faith and we say those things that are sound, sound speaking. Why are we what the people that God wants us to be? It's because they, we have people against us and against Christ. Matter of fact, if they are against us as Christians, is they are against Christ. It's not us. It's Christ that they're against. And the scriptures teach us, teach us that. And the, one of the purposes of this type of church that he is, is trying to encourage Titus and those Christians in Crete is that they would stop the mouths of the critics. Stop the mouths of the critics. People are against the church. Jesus warned of that, as I've said. They that are of a contrary part are those that are against us. The same word contrary in 1 Timothy 5.14 is translated adversary. Adversary. So we have people that are adversaries. They are against what you believe and what we, how we live. Do you realize that? You know, our lost world doesn't think like you think. Doesn't believe like I believe. And I had to come to the place where I realized that. Have you come to the place where you realize that? Just because you see the news, you say, how in the world? Why do they think that way? Why do they do that? They're just doing what comes natural. They don't believe in the God of the Bible and Christ hasn't transformed their life, forgiven their sins. They're doing what comes natural. That's what we see in our world. 
and they're against what we believe. You think it's just political? Absolutely not. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rules of darkness in high places. It's a bigger picture. We are to be a powerful, productive, persevering church so that we can stop the mouths of the critics. When they come to criticize, they don't have anything they can say. Oh, well, that didn't work. So we stop the critics and we show them Christ. That's number two. We show them, show them Christ. Chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able to by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Chapter 1 and verse 11, Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Things that are going to stop the mouths of the critics and we're going to show them Christ, verse 10, says not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. We adorn the doctrine. I can't help but we put a face, we put feet and hands to the things that we believe. We adorn it. We dress it up. Well, that's a scary thought, isn't it? Some of you this morning, I say some of you because some of you it's obvious you didn't, but you got in front of a mirror. I'm kidding. You put on your clothes and your makeup for the ladies, for the ladies. Combed your hair, what you have left, men. What I have left. And we, ad- we, we, we put it on. We, we adorn, tried to adorn, the body that God has given us. Did the best we could with what we had. Amen? Amen, that's right. Do you realize that what God is saying, we behave, we act, we live, so that we can dress up, we can adorn, we can present a picture to those around us of what Christ has done in us. It's not just externals. I realize it has to come from the inside out. You listen, I can put on this suit. I can put on this nice tie and get all sweaty inside of it. And, uh, and it, it, it doesn't really mean anything. It's just the outward. But if it comes from the heart, and I'm, I'm striving by God's grace and with God's help to present Christ, to show Christ, you see, that's, that's what the purpose of a powerful church is. That we would take Christ to a lost world. We present them. The Bible says in multiple places, verses that kind of go, go along with this, this is Matthew 5, 16. It says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give you a good pat on the back. That's not what it says. They may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. See, it's for that purpose that they might see God in us. That's right. Say, Pastor, Brother Randy, why are you yelling? I don't know, Okay. <laughs> It's so that so Lorita at the back of the room can hear me. That's what it's really for. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Colossians 3.17 Whatsoever ye do, in word 
or deed. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Boy, this is quite a thing, isn't it? You realize as businessmen, it'd be awful hard to cheat on cheat somebody through your business if you're doing it in the name of Jesus. You realize that it'd be awful hard to go into a store and steal something that is not yours and not pay for it if you're going to do it in the name of Jesus. You see? It applies to everything. We are doing all in the name of Jesus. I love Ephesians 2, uh, 8 through 10. It says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we usually stop right there. And those verses are excellent verses. Boy, if we could somehow work enough to gain our salvation, boy, wouldn't we brag about it? Wouldn't we boast? I'd go up to Peter and say, Peter, you know what I did this week to earn my salvation? Guess what? Huh? It's just like those guys down when you're watching NBA playoffs and they'll miss about 23 pointers in a row. But they make one. And they are strutting their stuff saying... Right? That's what they're doing. They made one out of 20. And we would boast the same. If somehow what I did earned my way to heaven, I would boast to everybody. I did enough today. I'm on my way to heaven, bless God. I put money in the offering. I came to church, heard a loudmouth preacher, and I sat through that whole thing, didn't even leave. Thought about it. But it doesn't stop there. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You see, the word workmanship is just like the trophy case we have over in the, in the fellowship hall. It's been there for years, you can tell, because there's a picture. I'm even in one of the pictures. I'm really skinny and I have a lot of hair, fuzzy hair on top. You can recognize me. Just look for the Q-tip, that's me. All right? And, uh, and we're, we're saying, and it's all the, all the trophies are there. You have all the trophies of the past things that has been accomplished in the Christian school that used to be here. It's a trophy case of accomplishments. Well, let me tell you. We've been saved by grace through faith. And we are to be his trophies. His workmanship. And it's not because of us. It's because we're created in Christ Jesus. And it's unto for the purpose of good works. So that we might show Christ to a lost and dying world that needs to see him. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, where in his place, be reconciled to God. And if we are somehow going to live a life that, oh, it doesn't matter how I live, I'm saved by grace. Oh, don't use that excuse. We live for Christ. We live by faith, trusting and believing in the God of the Bible so that we might be a powerful, productive, persevering person and as a result, a powerful, productive, persevering church that will endure for generations to come until Jesus Christ returns. Let's be that.